Good morning. Today I'm probably I'm going to talk about something that I always talk about. Um, hopefully in a different way than I've talked about it before. Can everybody hear me? It might be a little bit strange with my computer. Okay, thank you. When I did my um, Shuso ceremony, um, sometimes we call it Dharma combat. My um, case was Bodhidharma's emptiness. And this has been some almost 10 years ago now that I did my Shuso ceremony. And I spent about a year just trying to um, just trying to re re remember it, <laughs> you know, trying to, to uh, um, because you have to recite it, I had to uh, remember it. Yeah, I had to sit and, and uh, try to um, make sure that I could be, be, you know, put it out there um, correctly. I didn't in the end, but, you know, I think they got the gist. Um, but Bodhidharma's emptiness, Bodhidharma's um, don't know has been a constant sort of question for me, a constant coming up. Um, that don't know is very important in my practice. And it's gotten even more important and even more relevant for me in the past year. Um, with all that's happened in the world, what's all happened in my life and the changes that have happened for me, um, it's all about not knowing and dropping all the delusion, delusional idea that I know something, that I've achieved something, that um, I've moved along the path in a certain way and that now I'm here. And I'm like, where's here? Because <laughs> here is nothing like any expectation I ever had. And the next here, wherever I'm quote unquote going, I can't, um, I can't predict either. And it has nothing to do with not plan about the planning or being organized or anything like that. It has to do with the fact that that is the condition, um, my own condition and the condition of being. And I take this back even to the very beginning of my practice. Um, I took Jukai about 27, 28 years ago for the first time. And it was a, it was a turning point in my life, yes. It's not the turn that I expected. And when I look back at it, you know, um, when I look back at it from this point in my life, um, it wasn't, you know, I, I can't interpret it the way that I interpreted it then or 10 years ago or whenever, you know, that's not exactly what I thought was happening. <laughs> yeah. um, 
taking Jukai is a very important part of this practice, I think. It's not that everybody has to take Jukai or formally do it some kind of ceremony to take the Bodhisattva vows. However you accept the Bodhisattva vows, whether it's in a ceremony or whether it's through study or um, however you encounter them, um, it's, it's never the same for anybody. And it's never the same for you, for you or, or me or anyone from different standpoints in, in our lives. I've taken Jukai now about three times. And for someone for whom that is helpful, you know, I would definitely encourage you to take Jukai as much as you want. Take it every year if you need to, um, because it's a, it is a practice that um, of taking vow that it cannot settle something for you. It's not getting a set, a set of instructions and that's the way it is for the rest of your life. It's for right now. It's for this moment. It's for these conditions. It's for this person, not the person 27 years ago, um, not the person 30 years from now, but this being right here. So to take the precepts is to always take them for the first time. I've taken them three times for myself with um, my teacher at Great Tree. I've made three boxers. Um, in the course of, of, of being, a, being ordained and being a monk, you know, those same vows happen at those times. They're the same vows you take when you're ordained. They're the same vows that you take when you receive Dharma transmission. Um, they're wrapped up in there, um, and you repeat them, you, re you recite them in all of these ceremonies. In addition, in helping my teacher to um, give Jukai um, and being sort of like uh, what my role in, the, in, the, in those processes was to um, kind of lead the ordinees through um, the process and through practice and practicing before the ceremony and leading through the ceremony. Um, that's just standard how, how it happens. I take those vows with them as well. Um, as the leader of the, of the group is leading them through, I have to do every vow with them. I have to repeat every line with them. Um, so in, a, in effect, every, every time I did that, I was taking those vows. Um, I've been preceptor at two Jukai ceremonies in a prison. And even as preceptor, um, you are taking those vows. You can't give them unless you hold them, unless you take them. Um, in that moment with those people, with those brothers and sisters that you're um, doing that ceremony with. So I've taken these vows again and again, and I expect if I live that long, I will be continuing to take them again and again. Very important. And as I said, they're not instructions. 
they're not something you can take and it's just there and it's taken or it's not. You know, uh, the most the most valuable lesson that I learned from taking those those vows again and again is that how in, how immediately it seems that I can watch myself or um, or at least acknowledge to myself every time I break one, every day, all day long, <laughs> it happens. Um, and if you've taken the precepts, you kind of discover that yourself, you know. Um, and it doesn't matter if I've taken them a million times or I, if I've taken them for 30 years ago and, you know, practiced for 30 years, always, you know, they are always right here. They are always there to make me aware of um, how, how deluded I am, um, to point out my delusion at every step. In my notes here, I've kind of gone through them, you know, with this sort of understanding of, of or this half understanding of emptiness that I have. The emptiness that means that everything is always changing. Um, nothing is um, clear in delusion. Nothing is clear in this samsara. Um, that I am always struggling with trying to remove the construct, constructs and, and expectations and ideas that cloud my vision um, because of this human brain that wants everything to be settled and sure. Um, even though I can intellectually um, talk about emptiness, um, it is always a struggle. It's a bit of a, a, of, a of a pilgrimage for me. Um, there's another um, case um, in the Book of Serenity, that's where Bodhidharma is, where I get Bodhidharma's um, emptiness. It's also, is it in Gatemus Gate or something? Well, went an Arenzai um, version of uh, Book of Serenity. There's another case, and I don't know, and um, it's Daizong, and please forgive my um, pronunciation of the Chinese, but um, in that case, that case number 20, Daizhang asked Fayan, where are you going? And Fayan says, around on pilgrimage. Daizhang said, what is the purpose of pilgrimage? Fayan said, I don't know. Daizhang said, not knowing is most intimate. I'm not the most scholarly person in the world. And I come to some of this in a sort of, I'm an English major, so I come to it in this sort of fashion of literature and poetry and um, sort of the essence of um, meaning rather than trying to dig through the Chinese and, 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 and try to put, pull together some clues of what this means. 
I think that um, Fion's answer, I don't know, and Bodhidharma's don't know are the same for me right now. I have been on this long journey for well over 27 years now because I started Zen practice, you know, a little bit earlier than I took um, when I took Jukai. And it's been a very long, long, long pilgrimage. And you want, we want, I, I want, I think, when I first began this, this, this journey, there was this need to understand, to come to some conclusion as to, you know, how things work and where my place was and who I am and what, you know, and you know, become enlightened. And, you know, we have, we think that, I think, I'm not gonna say we, but there was this idea that enlightenment means knowing all, aware of all, that impossible thing um, that is possible through this practice. Um, but can't be, can't be chased down, can't be um, tackled and held and, you know, stuck in your pocket or hung around your neck or wrapped around your body like big black robes. And that was a sort of delusion that I had of that. Where I'm right now, is I don't know. And this is 30 years later. And somehow some inkling, some, some soft, very soft, mushy understanding um, or some, some desire for that soft, mushy understanding um, pushes me right now. Taking these vows again and again is sort of a, a devotion. And a devotion um, in terms of um, the Mahayana um, is sometimes put in terms of, of, of gaining merit. But merit is mushy because Bodhidharma told Vimpara Wu there is no merit. Um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't do what we do. We shouldn't, we shouldn't take care of the Dharma or take care of the, you know, of temples and build temples and do practice and all of those things. Um, but merit is a distraction, a delusion. It takes us away. It takes us off the path. But this has been a, and has been this, long pilgrimage to nowhere for me. <laughs> um, because I cannot tell you where this will lead me. And so I cannot tell you where this will lead you, but we have this sort of faith and devotion to the practice that is beyond some kind of understanding, beyond some kind of goal, you know, because that reaching and that grasping, even for enlightenment, is a delusion. 
because it closes our hands, it closes our minds, it restricts us, it binds us. It is not the freedom that we truly seek. That is not to say that, that there is not enlightenment, but I've said this before too, none of us here knows what that looks like. So whatever idea we have of what enlightenment means is another one of those things that we have to let go of and don't know. And then allow the process to take us where we need to be or where to become what we will become. When I first, one of the things that, well, this is sort of an idea that stays with me that I'm trying to drop, but not, you know, it's, it's, it's there. When I first started um, in sort of um, investigating Buddhism, I, you know, I didn't know anything about Buddhism as a path. I didn't know anything about um, this kind of Buddhism or that kind of Buddhism. Excuse me. Um, I read a book on Kobo Daishi. Kobo Daishi is a Shingon, um, uh, the person who, um, in, in, in not invented, I don't want to say that word, but the person who spread Shingon Buddhism in Japan. And one of the things that is uh, important in that branch of Buddhism is the pilgrimage, the Shikoku, the 88 temples um, pilgrimage um, in Japan. It's very important. A lot of people do it. A lot of um, Soto Zen people, on it, surprisingly, have done it. Um, I would like to do it at some point <laughs> because it just is fascinating to me. But in that pilgrimage, you know, you go around in 88 temples and you never, never really end, you know, because you continue to go around and around. You know, some people do it year after year. Some people have done it for years. Um, some people do it backwards. Some people do it in all kinds of different order. It's about this never ending walk. And even each time, you know, and, and things that I've read, you know, people say that the path is always different. The dangers that come up on the path are different every time, you know. Um, the experiences, good and bad, are different every time. It's raining one day or one point when you get to a certain point. And the next time you reach that point, it's a totally different weather. Yeah. Trees and forests grow, grow up in the years that you spend traversing that trail. Temples burn down. Um, towns grow up in the middle of the path. Highways cross it always changing, always moving, never the same situation. 
to pilgrimage with the, with the Bodhisattva vows. They're going to be different every time. Every time, you know, you encounter, we encounter them every day. Hit that wall every day of, oh, man, you know, I broke that one. I missed that one. I didn't even realize every day for 30 years and more. That's the pilgrimage. That's the practice. It's on the cushion. It's in the street. It's how we deal with each other as we pass through the temple doors. It's there with us when we have a temple and when we don't. Um, that constant path. And, you know, in my delusion, you know, I, I've watched myself, you know, um, try to take some detour, some shortcut. Um, it never works. You just have to stay on the path and keep walking it through all of the conditions that will be in our lives. And it's not a seeking of an end. It's not a seeking of a, of a, of a prize of, of, you know, suddenly attaining something. Um, even enlightenment. You have to let those things go and just keep going step by step. So the other part of that is not worrying, you know, that you keep breaking these vows, um, but always seeing and allowing that realization to come up and that awareness to come up and allowing things to drop away, the ideas and the you know, other delusions that we have to drop it, to keep dropping away. And only you can do that. We can help each other and we can be kind to each other in this practice. We can be kind and empathetic to each other in this practice. That's how we help. There's nobody that's going to draw a map for you. Um, that will be useful to you at all. This is a is both a a singular practice because nobody is in there in in you <laughs> helping you rearrange yourself on the cushion um, to become this enlightened person, and yet without the other people around you. You cannot do this. And again, that brings us back to the vow. Because the vow is, and I've said this before too, is not just talking about what happens inside. It's talking about what happens throughout us. You know? um, it's talking about how we treat not only ourselves, our own minds and bodies, but how we treat the minds and bodies around us. 
that we perceive as being around us and not part of us. It reminds us that of that delusion of separateness and that we have to be aware um, that the hurtfulness and the, um, the taking from others or the disparaging of others or the disparaging of the Dharma, how it affects the big self and not just the small self that wants to be enlightened and safe. Because that enlightenment and that safe that we have this idea of doesn't exist without the enlightenment and safe of everyone around us, every being that we vow to take care of, that we vow to save. So that's my rambling sort of for today. And I try and strive instead of trying to know something, you know, because my big ego wants, wants to know and control and know and be sure. Um, that clarity doesn't come from knowing. Clarity comes from seeing what is right now without the knowing of something, without the idea of something. So that's as much <laughs> as much as I got to today. And I appreciate your attention. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.